Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome back to More To It, the show that takes a deep dive into the biggest stories in sports, entertainment, and culture. Start with headline news and journey into layered conversations, always finding those life lessons that are presented in every single story. I'm Marcel Swally. Dad, dude, what up? Why? And this week, let's chop up some wood, starting with the NFL championship games. And my reaction to those, let's start with the Chiefs and Bengals. Let's go there first. You know why? Because that was a great game. That was some good football. Like, I went to my boys' house, Dana and Dave Pump. Uh, the Pump Brothers, if you guys have heard of them, um, these guys are like Tommy and Martin. Like, you don't know what they do, but they do it all. <laughs> and they do it big, right? So I'm over there, bunch of cats in the house, John Sally in the house, Cedric Entertainer, my boy Ray Nosrati, a big-time developer out here, Sugar Ray Leonard, et cetera. And if I forgot your name, it's just because you're not famous. Nah, let me stop. Um, all respect to everybody who was in the building, right? So we're sitting there. And finally, we got a good game because that first game, we're going to talk about it in a sec. That was not it. But this game, oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm posted on the couch with somebody who's more than famous. He's actually rich. <laughs> He's actually making an impact. My man, Gary Cornegue, if I said his last name right, Cornegue. But um, this dude's a beast. Y'all look him up, Google him, and y'all figure it out. Anyway, we sitting there watching this game. And <clears throat> what's amazing about this game <clears throat> excuse me, other than the frog in my voice. What's amazing about this game is you're watching it as it's going down to the wire. And obviously, KC jumped out, had that lead, and then all of a sudden you saw Cincinnati come back and you saw it tied for a while. You're like, what's going to happen here? Cincinnati going to go 4-0 and against the Chiefs? Patrick Mahomes, what are you doing? Right? But then you're like, nah. I don't know. They in Arrowhead this time. I mean, look, I know three is the magic number, but maybe it's four today. Finally, on the fourth try, Patrick Mahomes finally gets over that hurdle. And you're watching this game, and it came down to the referees. It came down to the zebras. But it didn't come down in the sense, I think, that the narrative is right now, which is the game is rigged. 
The game is not rigged, in my opinion. Why? Because if you look at this game, that was a personal foul. That was unnecessary roughness. That was 15 yards. That was ball game, as it should have been. Anybody would have called that, right? Whether you're a zebra, whether you're a referee, you're a foot locker dude that works, work study job, whoever you are, you call in that play. But there were other plays, obviously, a mention that made some of the NFL fans a little curious. It's a couple of dubious calls here and there, but I'm not going to dig down that rabbit hole or travel down there. I'm going to talk about that one play. A lot of people call it a bonehead play, right? And I'm here to demystify the bonehead play because Patrick Mahomes, who can't run in this moment, I mean, by the second, you just saw him decaying, atrophying out there. Like, you're like, dude, this dude ain't going to make it to overtime if this game has to go to overtime, right? You're watching Patrick Mahomes in the moment, and all of a sudden he takes off running. And my first thought was, come on, somebody pop on this screen and go get his ass, right? He can't be running that fast. He's hurt. He got two left legs or two right legs. I don't know which one was hurt, but he's not normal. Go get him. And then one guy shoots into the screen and then the other guy shoots into the screen. Since I'm not working at network TV, I don't have to know their names anymore. But um, the linebacker and the DB jump into the screen. And next thing you know, wow, 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 wow. And you know in this moment, in this millisecond, like right now, Patrick Mahomes is out of bounds, but he still gets pushed. And you're like, oh, they're going to call the flag. They're going to call it. They They called it, as they should have called it, right? But let's talk about the bonehead play that moment. Why would you hit Patrick Mahomes out of bounds? His own teammate said it walking into the locker room. You saw that on Instagram and on social media as well. Why would you do that? I'm here to defend the bonehead play. I'm a guy who, for many reasons, suffered from being great. My entire career. Um, the first few years, let's just be real. I was behind Bruce Smith and Phil Hansen, and I came from a small program. I came from Columbia. I wasn't that good. <laughs> I had to learn the ropes. I mean, I was talented. Don't trip. Like, I ain't going to be fake, fake humble up here. I'm going to be real. Um, I was talented. I was an athlete. I was a beast. But I ain't no football. I can't lie. I was a great artist who didn't have the science of football down just yet. So it was great to be on the bench and get opportunities and spot reps behind Bruce Smith, the greatest defensive end ever, and Phil Hansen, maybe the most unheralded greatest defensive end ever. So I learned the ropes from those guys and finally got my opportunity in my fourth year. So that's three years of my career, 10-year career, three years gone. Now, my fourth year, I had a back surgery, but I balled. Fifth year, I had a foot surgery, but I balled, right? Then I start coming down the hill ever so slightly in like my sixth year. Still up there, though. Still top 50 in the league. Don't trip. Twice top 50. Yes, your boy. Um, but it was something that I suffered from was that I never was maniacal. I never was single-minded. I never was nuclear-focused. Like one thing, one thing only, you know, I wasn't the lab rat. I wasn't see color, hit color. I was too mindful. I was too thoughtful. Probably as the scouts used to say, you're too smart for your own good, right? I always looked at the game, not only rationally, but logically, rarely irrationally. And rarely like a moment like this where I was just so locked in that I made a bonehead play. I can't 
think of any bonehead plays I made. And that's a criticism. That is not a compliment. That is one reason I think between the ears, I wasn't as great as I could have been, as I should have been. Injuries, of course. Everybody knows my career for real knows that in my primal years, (laughs) my years of prime, I should say, dog, I got robbed. I got robbed. I give it that. But before that, or at least underlying all of that, was the fact that I wasn't like some of my great teammates who just were locked in, all in on the play call like they knew nothing else in life. And that's a compliment. And I saw it come to fruition last night, that last play, running out of bounds. You are so locked in. Forget circumstances even at times. Forget the moment. You are a hunting dog. And see, Patrick Mahomes, I am eating his ass up. I don't care where and how. And that usually pays positive dividends throughout the regular season and the playoffs. It usually works for you. But every now and then, because life is a balancing act, everything in moderation, including moderation, right? When you're too extreme like that, a guy like that, so locked in, I've had teammates like this, Hall of Fame teammates like this, they're the ones that commit that egregious error at the worst time. Yep. Same guy that makes all the plays that you're just sitting there, damn that boy good. Damn that dude good. Damn he a beast. Is the same one that will eat his own. That beast will eat his own at the worst possible moment. And we saw it. That was the worst moment. I mean, come on. You almost wish he would have just let Patrick Mahomes just go. He's running out of bounds. He's hurt. He's compromised. He doesn't want the pain. But when you're locked in like that, and when you're a good player like that, that's sometimes the consequence of being that locked in. So the game wasn't rigged. In my opinion, it was just a game with special interests. Let's talk about those special interests because every single crew of officials before the game, and I've seen these meetings, I've been privy to be in that vicinity to see these meetings. They have a points of emphasis meeting. All of the officials that get together in an abandoned locker room somewhere in the stadium, right? And as you're walking out your locker room or walking into your locker room, you see them. And they just huddled up like they playing. <laughs> old asses ain't playing. Right? They all huddled up. And on their whiteboard, because I'm old school. It was chalkboard, but I, I'll fast forward. On their whiteboard, they will have like holding, um, unnecessary roughness, um, offsides, right? They will have actual penalties that the NFL, the business headquarters, is trying to make an emphasis in terms of hindering, curtailing, stopping, eliminating these penalties. And every year we hear it in the offseason, but we just don't take notice. Every year in the offseason you hear, okay, the the disciplinary committee and, and the code of conduct committee, and they've come together, and the player safety committee, all these committees, right, have come together with new legislation and new rules, and the rules committee says, We're going to implement X. Well, X is emphasized throughout the regular season and playoffs. I wonder, was a point of emphasis Patrick Mahomes' health? Hmm. Sound like I'm giving a little fuel to y'all conspiracy theorists out there saying the game is rigged, right? Hmm. No. 
because this happens every single week. Every single week, we're sitting there with a points of emphasis that a lot of times translates to more calls for that point of emphasis. Man, they call a lot of holding. Damn, this crew call a lot of offsides. Damn, this crew is looking for unnecessary roughness, whatever it may be. But that's how, if you really want to run with one and go in a rabbit hole, the connection between the NFL business and headquarters and their committees and how they want to legislate the game and all of a sudden how that plays out on the actual field because through selective perception, through the lens of the officials, they are emphasizing those same calls. I get that. But other than that, I don't get it. You know what I also don't get? Why in the hell I watched all four quarters of that Eagles 49ers game? <laughs> Hit me. Sound like Flavor Flav. Um, ain't no damn way with a fourth string quarterback. Don't forget Purdy was third string. And he was great. With a fourth-string quarterback on the road against the number one seed, the 49ers had a shot. No shot at all. No shot. Who shot you? Nobody shot you. You got no shot. I mean, and the worst thing about it all is that we all felt like Obama, right? Holding on to hope, selling hope. Like, ain't no hope, bro. I've been on teams like that before. I've been in games. I've been in playoff games before. Music City Miracle. We had our second best quarterback starting, Rob Johnson. Not even our fourth. Like, we weren't because of injury. We weren't not playing Doug Flutie because of injury. We were playing Rob Johnson just because the money, just because the reputation, just because he looked the part. And he wasn't a scrub, but he wasn't Doug Flutie by any stretch. And it deflates the team. Goodness, we were like... And like we walked out, I remember we were in Tennessee and we already knew that Rob was starting and you could just feel a collective emptiness like, damn, like we leaving points on the board before we even get on the field to score points on the board. What are we doing? And I was like, all right, do my part, which I think I was in my second year. Uh, my part wasn't large. Let's just say that. Like we weren't going to win the game because of me and we certainly weren't going to lose the game because of me. I ain't had that kind of impact at that time on the team but I'm sitting there like man this is big business this is silly what are we doing we're not even putting our best foot forward how the hell are we supposed to win oh we're supposed to win in spite of the politics well in this Eagles 49ers game oh it wasn't about the politics it was about the primal behavior of defenders when they come off the edge and they see a quarterback and smell blood. And when you smell that blood, people always say, do you really try to hurt people out there? Do you really try to hurt players? Hell yeah. And the better you are, the more I'm trying to hurt you. Why? Exhibit A, Eagles 49ers. As soon as Purdy went out that game, the hopes of the 49ers went out that game. It was a wrap. You couldn't win. Four-string quarterback. He like, oh, I mean, look, he probably prepared. I'm I'm lying. I don't think he was prepared. Like he would be prepared if he were the starter. You can lie to yourself, but yourself is not listening to those lies. Like, yeah, yeah, get every rep. Get every second of film prep. Be ready. How many delay games do they have? <laughs> I wonder how many false starts, too. I mean, dog. It was night and day. And it was night and day from a third stringer to a fourth stringer. 
not their starter, Trey Lance, not their backup, who should have been their starter, Jimmy GQ, cutie pie. No, we were down to Brock Purdy and then four stringer. Come on, bro. So it's so disappointing to watch a game like that because, you know, the players are sitting there like, bruh, I mean, we're going to try, but we ain't going to lie. <laughs> this ain't going to fly. <laughs> it wasn't going to work. And I've just been in that place before, the emptiness, the doubt, and you try to compartmentalize it, right? Got to put it to the side. Forget that, dog. Forget that. Dog got to hunt. I don't give a damn if my leg hurt. Got to hunt. And I don't even think uh, – I don't think that game was contentious at all. Like, <sighs> the score wasn't out of control until what? Second half? But it was out of control. Oh, when they scored right before the half, that's when you knew. Pop! He did. Flatline. Ooh, cold blue. You're like, they let him score. Because it was that fumble. Ball hit him right in the hands. Yang, yang, yang. What's his name? Thompson? Hit him right in the hand. Yang, yang, yang. Ball on the ground. You're like, rap, rap, call it. Should have had the same ratings that uh, the national championship game had. TCU versus Georgia. Like, I should have tuned out then. I should have known. From my experiences, I should have known. But, hey, we all we all stay with it. Hoping, hoping. And then you realize, whew, coaching matters. But, to me, personnel matters much more it's not about the jockeys it's about the horse (laughs) and the horses and if you don't have those horses i don't care what jockey you got you ain't getting nothing out of this now let's switch gears because this week on thursday three-year anniversary of kobe bryant's death his daughter gianna and seven others right Mm. Um, one, I just feel weird, but I don't know another word. They keep saying anniversary. And I'm like, uh, I guess we're into the phase of celebrating life. But I always think about the departure and and the loss of death. Like, I I hear y'all. Y'all trying to paint a prettier picture. My mother passed away. Oh, it's the celebration of life. And give her a video montage with her favorite songs. And this feels good, but boy, does this feel like hell. Um, Let's talk about Kobe Bryant, because I'm going to describe the moment when I heard Kobe Bryant had passed. And like everyone out there listening, I know. Everyone out there watching, I know. True disbelief. Because Kobe was bigger than life. Kobe was greater than life, you felt. Like, not only his persona and the Black Mamba and Girl's Dad at that time, but his game. Like, you were like, yo, we saw the second coming of Michael Jordan, and he's dead? Like... When I heard, I literally was on the way en route to going to the airport. And I don't travel much on purpose. I'm not trying to leave the crib. Certainly not trying to leave L.A. when everybody in the world trying to fly to L.A. Like, this is a vacation destination. I'm not trying to do anything, especially stuff is virtual now. Even back then, I wasn't trying to leave the crib. Got three little ones at home. The wife, I'm like, And this was one of those rare occasions I had a flight. And I get the news, the up, the update, the alert. I'm like, what? Like, first thing I did was hit refresh. There's no damn way Kobe Bryant's gone. Hmm. And it happened in Calabasas. At the time, I was living in Studio City. So that's just like a couple suburbs away, a few suburbs away. 20 minutes. If you're driving fast, no L.A. traffic, but... 
not far at all. And I lived literally under the helicopter path. Like there's this helicopter path that takes them downtown. So Kobe OC, Orange County, takes them downtown LA and then they fly up the 101. And so I ain't living in the hood. I'm in Studio City, but <laughs> them choppers was all the time. My kids loved it because the helicopter would fly really low. My kids loved it. They were like, oh my God. Like we live on a, a Air Force base or something, Daddy. So they loved it. And I got the news, right? Hit and refresh, hit and refresh. It's getting worse. It's getting grim. And I was just like, like just in such disbelief that it was like outer body. I was in the back of the car riding the car service to the airport. And literally, I felt like I had a passenger next to me. It was me, me and me sitting next to each other. Because one of me was just going to the airport like, all right, business as usual. But the other me was like, this is devastating. I'm thinking I'm about to get on the flight. Then, of course, who doesn't? I'm thinking, what if my plane crashes? What if I leave my kids? What if my goodbye was my real last, final, eternal goodbye? Boy, stop playing. (sighs) And then all kind of emotions, right? Because, you know, it starts to get real. You go through, what, the seven stages of grief? (sighs) And it starts to get real. And one of the things that I thought about was like, God, you imagine playing 20 years of basketball professionally and probably 30-something your entire life. You played a game forever to live a life in the real world that was that short. You played forever, but the real world, real life, real family experience, that fast. Come on. I was like, for real, I was like, life is not fair. Like, we say that, and we see that, but I knew that. And I was like, that ain't right. This dude did all of that, and then it humbled me. I was like, he did all of that, and at that level, like, I played ball, but I was not even close to the shoestrings, the bottom of the shoes, in terms of greatness of a Kobe Bryant. I hung with Kobe Bryant. I knew Kobe Bryant. I was like, what? I was like, damn. You can get robbed of what you're doing all of that basketball for. You're doing all of that in sport, dedication, determination, greatness, so that you can just chill with the girls, chill with Vanessa, chill in life, right? And you can't even do that. And not only can't you chill, you're gone. I was like, oh, this is just, woo. And it just humbled me. It just put me in my little corner emotionally. And then I was like, wow, my family, what if I, not this time, but what if it just, I have a short-lived post-retirement? Like, I played ball since I was eight years old. I played 25 years of football. And what if I don't have 25 years of retirement? I was like, damn, because you do not play all that ball just to have your life end in a flash when it's over. You do not do that for that reason. And so my travel mindset was dark. I could be snatched from my family. I could get on this flight and never, ever make it home. And then I start thinking like, golly. Woo. All the things that Kobe Bryant meant to people. Like all the things. Like good, bad, and ugly. Because some people still don't like Kobe Bryant. 
Colorado comes to mind for people. The attitude, the black mama. Some people didn't like black mama. Some people hated black mama. And it made me like the analyst, the broadcaster. I got mad at myself because Kobe and I used to laugh at this. He actually gave me props one time. I was at a Laker game and um, we were walking in the tunnel. And he said, you know, Wiley, I like you, dog, for real, because I know when I listen to you, you telling the truth and you speaking from your heart. And more importantly, you saying it exactly how it is, even if it doesn't feel good or sound good. And he's like, I've heard you say some stuff about me. And I'm like, no, nah, he right, dog. <laughs> and that felt gr- good. And I didn't broadcast that to the world and I didn't tape it. And I didn't tell him to tweet it. I was just like, Kobe, I don't hate you, dog. But I did catch Kobe. Kind of coming down the hill, peak powers. Like Kobe Achilles, Kobe shoulder, Kobe hurt all the time. Kobe big contract, not necessarily the same. So I was like, damn, why do I have a job that I got to be critical of somebody that I praise? I really love Kobe Bryant. But my job didn't want me to say it always. I love Kobe Bryant because what I saw wasn't always something that fans loved. So I had to keep it real because that's just how I'm built. Y'all know me. And in that moment, it kind of washed me away. I was like, man, I should have never said a bad word about that guy. Of course, I wouldn't have had a job, but I mean, I wouldn't have been respected in my job. Kobe would have never pulled me to the side and talked to me like he did and always give me love. But felt weird, man. Felt really weird. Rest in paradise. Rest in peace. Just rest, man. And um, I don't think that this world would ever, ever fill that void that Kobe Bryant left for many reasons. You saw all those grown men, grown athletes crying from Michael Jordan on down. Ain't nobody faking that, Shaq. Nobody faking that. That's real. That is real. Much love to the mama. Speaking of something that's real, oh, my goodness. Uh, The Tyree Nichols video. And killing. Mm, here we go. Uh, this is a huge story. Only way it could have been a bigger story is, obviously, y'all know, if the five cops weren't black but actually white. Rodney King 2.0 would have made this even bigger. And I'm not trying to make it bigger, but one of the things that jumps off the screen is like, wow, how brutal, how inhumane and worse Worse, and I say worse, his own people did that to him. Let me tell you why that's worse. It's worse because in this respect, a lot of people always want to blame being a police officer and want to racialize it. A lot of people want to look at it and politicize it. They don't want to humanize it, right? They want to say those people were acting because they're a part of the blue race, right? They're cops. And this is why this one is worse. Because now you're stuck. You don't have the answers. It's not convenient. I think it was worse because this allowed shrapnel, asteroids, pieces to just go everywhere. And you saw people taking this everywhere. If this was neater... This might have sounded better. 
But I'm glad it wasn't. I'm glad this was, uh uh-oh, black on black, as they say, right? I'm going to tell you why. Because now we really got to identify what's the real problem, right? Is it because they're blue in terms of being cops? Just a culture? Or is it just a greater culture in conversation over race? Culture versus race. Let's get there. I've always talked about the importance of culture. I'm not into the race conversation, not not because it doesn't exist. I'm not into it because it's not the greatest hurdle in its existence. The greater hurdle for anybody, I don't care what your skin color is, is your culture, your surroundings, your conditions, your class. All of those things, to me, precede and supersede race. Don't believe me? Exhibit A. This story right here. So now we got to really dig into the culture. Not just black culture, but police culture. Let's talk about police culture. Because this unit wasn't a normal unit. This wasn't just five random cops. This was the Scorpion unit. And I've noticed this, whether it's training day (laughs) or in real life, knowing real cops are part of Special tactic units, the tactic squad, right? SWAT team all the way down to the Scorpion unit. And a lot of times when you talk about these special tactical units, they're always put in place because of the city's homicide rate is soaring or some condition where, okay, we got to really lay into this. We got to really come down with a heavy hand. And it usually turns into a bad scene out of training day. Because what occurs, increased use of force and decrease public trust. Increase use of force and you decrease the public's trust. So these Scorpion units, right, already been accused of assault before. Inmates have come out before and said something about the Scorpion unit. But hey, you see this video and you realize they're not cops. Not exclusively. This is a gang. This is a gang. Whether it was Rodney King, those aren't cops. That's a gang. Five white cops ganging up on Rodney King and beating him almost to death. This Scorpion unit, black cops, this is a gang beating him to death. What is going on? What's really at play here? We've heard it all. Oh, cops ain't nothing but... The guys who couldn't make varsity. The guys who couldn't really flex in high school. Oh, cops ain't... No, 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 don't do that. That's lazy, y'all. That's some, but that's not all. What's at play right here is that when you get conditioned to be a cop, you got to talk about the conditioning. Cops, in terms of their brain perception, become magnets to negativity. They have to look for the bad things every single day in every single way. Even though a lot of their daily hours are spent, let's just say, in um, in a different world in terms of vocation, it's not always armed robberies. It's not always murder, right? Sometimes just traffic stops, right? Which can be deadly, though. And think about that level of anxiety and apprehension every time a cop checks in logs in for his eight hours. 
I'm not going to make them sympathetic in this moment because I think that that would be insensitive. But we got to go through these steps so we can understand what's really at play. So you got someone who has heightened awareness for the negative. Their suspicions are validated every single day in every single way. They look for bad. They see bad. They think bad. They react to bad. Even a traffic stop is a bad thing, right? You did something wrong. You could be sitting there with your hands on 10 and 2 and turn down your radio and roll down your window and act like you're the old lady that just didn't see that red light. But to a cop, you may have a weapon. So this is their conditioning. And they're holding their breath every time they come to your car. They don't want to talk about it because they're supposed to be tough. They're supposed to be the authority. But that's what they're feeling. Meanwhile, what are we feeling? We're the citizens. We're the civilians. We're sitting there like, I hope I got a good cop, right? Because of that lack of public trust. You're sitting there like, I hope he doesn't have a bad day. I hope he's not having a bad day, right? Because of that lack of public trust. And now we're playing percentages, right? Cop is calculating the odds of this person actually being someone who has a gun and would actually use it. Doesn't respect, quote unquote, the authority of my badge. And we're running the same percentages. What's the odds of this being just a good cop versus one of those rogue cops? And we're both playing on the margins. We're both playing on the extremes because the chances of you getting that training day cop slim, but not none, but slim. And the chances of you being the one that got the strap underneath the the car seat like Cousin Harold, slim, but not none. This is a dangerous place to be, y'all. Very dangerous place. That's why we need police reform and we need citizen reform. Yeah, I said it. Police reform is pretty obvious. But it's not going to work fully because of the psychology of the job. Like, you know, we always talk about football players and y'all got a little something off, like y'all a little crazy. Something about being a cop, whether you walk into it that way or you're going to leave this way, you just got to look at life through a lens of negativity. They don't trust us. And then when we look at cops because of all these incidents and I don't want to blow them out of proportion because most cops are great or good. Most citizens that get pulled over are great or good, but we are talking about the margins, the extremes. How do we reconcile this? How do we resolve this? Who hasn't been pulled over? I have. Who hasn't held their breath? I have. And it wasn't because of my race. And why wasn't it because of my race? Because I've been pulled over by black cops before. The worst instance the worst example I ever have of a police encounter was actually with a black cop. And I know James Baldwin talked about that, how the black cop has to prove that he's not like the black citizen or the black person he's pulling over. So he tries extra hard, and goes 110% for the force in the blue badge. And I can see some of that. But what I always use as my mindset is I'm playing percentages and I'm not going to give them anything any inkling, any 
anything to think that I am over here trying to go rogue. I am compliant. Call me a punk. Call me someone who doesn't know their rights. I know my rights and I got the right to stay alive. And I got the right to remain silent. I got the right to comply. I got the right to not have a day on the concrete, but a day in court. And you can call me any name you want, but call me alive. And it doesn't always go that neatly. It doesn't always go that way for everybody, right? You can comply and still get killed. Oh, and let's be real. And that's the narrative for white people that get pulled over. You can you can resist. You can be disruptive. You can be uncooperative and still survive. And we've seen that go both ways, but we know what the narrative says. This was just bad, how brutal it was. Uh, not going into the details because I think they're still developing. I've seen the video. <clears throat> Who hasn't seen the video? Woo. Who doesn't have a kid, son, daughter, especially me, young black son, obviously, big boy. My son is seven. He looks 10. (laughs) Plays ball like he's 12, (laughs) little beast. And I look at him. And you have those conflicting thoughts. The narrative, the reality wants to grab me and say, Marcellus, look out for that boy and give him the speech. Then my reality kicks in and says, I don't give a damn if your son wasn't black. I don't give a damn if your son wasn't black or big. I don't give a damn if your son wasn't black or big. Or cooperative or a good kid of character. (sighs) What do you do? I'm telling my son always. Try his damnness by percentages. And we know as parents, this is not even 100% to not get in trouble. But as I speak as a former thief, yep, a guy who has committed assault before, yep, a guy who's found himself in fire but never got burnt, thankfully, by grace and mercy, I'm not betting on 100% even for my son. So in those extreme moments, those margins, those few instances, there can't be deeper prayers you have for your child. Especially if the narrative is true to those cops that pull him over at that time. That he sees someone who's more violent in my son. If he generalizes my son. And if my son generalizes police officers, that is a collision course that can end up in death. And we've seen it all too often. What has it been? 30? 30 years since the Rodney King incident and L.A. riots? And I lived through that. Tanks. Tanks. Tanks on my street. Going down the neighborhood, arson everywhere, everything burning up. Store owners, neighbors, guns on their roof, guns walking down the street. I walked into a store 
Five seconds after walking off, walking away, boom, lit up. What's going to happen with these situations? Unfortunately, is an imperfect pill that we all have to swallow. And I don't want to have to swallow that pill. But I do know there's a way to navigate that gives you the best percentage chance to surviving. And you would think that in the world, you should be able to say for 100% of the times, I would survive getting pulled over. But that's not the case. You want to know why? Because who got pulled over is not perfect. And who pulled you over is not perfect. And if anything gets out of place in that anxiety-filled, stressful moment of those interactions. And we see it, right? You take off. You're non-compliant. Uh-oh, strike one. Uh, he's coming in hot with, with an attitude against you for whatever reason. Uh-oh, strike one, strike two. Like, it's so hard, right? Some cops just started. Some some people get pulled over, just started. But no one should lose their life over it. But if you look at all the mental dynamics at play with imperfect beings, that is not how you roll the dice. That is not how you play the game. That is not how you have a winning hand. So, so far, so, so blessed. But I can't lie. I have anxiety all the time. And it's not because of a narrative. It's because of the reality. No matter how you form the conversation, no, how, no matter how much you talk police reform or Citizen trust, no matter how you say all of these things, it doesn't just add up to everyone being safe. And that's what's most disturbing. That's what's most disturbing. Okay, got to get out of this place, right? A lot of dark stories right now. Let's lighten up. Let's talk about my ex. Excuse me, my exes. <laughs> oh, man, people been hitting me up and I've been seeing it. My ex is out there tripping. <laughs> Oh, Jason Whitlock, Emmanuel Acho, my guys. They're always going to be my friends, even if they get mad at me, but they know me. I talk about everybody with the same amount of truth. And if you my friend, I really talk about you because we the homie. You know me better than them. <laughs> uh, let's talk about what's going on right now, because this is a thing. You can't Google their names without me popping up. Oh, pretty fat face image of me. Hey, buddy. Oh, man. And vice versa. Like you Google their names. Here I go. Hey, buddy. <laughs> right. Oh, man. But everybody hits me up publicly and privately as well. Right. Ooh, I, ooh, ooh. I know so many famous people <laughs> that be hitting me up talking about what's up with your boy? What's up with your boy? They ain't tweeting that out. <laughs> and we go there. Oh, man. Let's talk about it. Because my last four years at Fox, I took strays for my boys. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they took strays from me. Everybody didn't like my Black Lives Matter, uh, what do you call that, uh, response. <laughs> but you know me, I don't come with hate. They only say I'm a hater because I tell the truth too early. That's the only reason I get called a hater. And not everybody like my Colin Kaepernick's takes and still don't. But if you listen to me, I had so many people come up to me when I'm in public. They'd be like, man, I used to hate your ass, cuz. I'm like, why are you? So 
how's this conversation going? I used to hate you, homie. I used to hate you, blood. I'd be like, what? And then they'd be like, but I, I start listening to you for real. I hear you. I hear you. I feel you. i am like, okay, we good. Like, I don't come from hate, man. I just don't. I come from real, though. But my co-hosts have taken strays for me before as I'm taking strays for them right now. God dang, y'all calm down. Let's talk about it. Um, Van Latham, another one of my boys, but not a co-host. I've been on his podcast before where we had an uncomfortable conversation. We went there. And I didn't shy away from it. He didn't shy away from it. We didn't beef. We still talk on the phone, in person, go to each other's parties, et cetera. That's discourse, right? That's public discourse and private homie talk. Like, Dog, I'm not about to lose my friend over some conversation. And if I do, wasn't the right conversation, obviously, right? Like, we're talking about things outside of us. And we're having a conversation. So Van Lathan interviews Emmanuel Acho. Let's start with Acho. And that interview just, Van wanted to go in and Acho wanted to get out. That's the simplest way I can say it. Get out. And, I, and Van was like, I'm going in. And that's what that was, right? And I'm like, okay, but you can't go out. You can't get out. You got to stay here because you're there. And Van's like, I'm going in and I'm coming in hot. Van was in goal line defense, even on the 50-yard line. He was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And Acho was like, yo, I want to play finesse ball or, you know, just call timeout. And the way I felt watching it, I was like entertaining, but God, they left a lot of meat on that bone because Acho wasn't a willing participant. He said, uh, I wasn't prepared for this. You know, the publicist notes and what were you really supposed to talk about? Yeah, but, right? The but is Acho is an orator. That dude can talk, talk. And he's smart. So he could have figured it out. <laughs> like you ain't. First of all, I don't even do that. But Acho's a brand. He ain't like me. I ain't got no whole team like, give me every question or what we going to talk about. You could tell me what we talking about, but I don't give a damn what you say. Whatever you ask, I'm going to answer. Because it ain't that hard. I'm sophisticated, right? And if you're sophisticated, Acho's sophisticated, get through it. But don't be dismissive. And I thought that was bad because Acho could have, he could have played Van's role up. And still got what he wanted out of it and then dipped and then they wouldn't have this beef on Twitter now. But they have this beef on Twitter now <laughs> and I'm all in it, right? And so I'm sitting there seeing tweet after tweet and I'm like, damn, that's funny. Oh, damn, that's gangster. Damn, I want to like that one. And then I was like, got to do it. <laughs> got to be me. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's between them. I'm not picking a side. I'm just going with where the truth takes me, right? But I'm sitting there, I'm like, damn, why didn't y'all do this when y'all were in front of each other? But Acho probably felt like, Van, you overcommitting to one thing in these uncomfortable conversations. Van's like, I'm being authentic. When you ain't here, I hate on your ass. When you're here, I'm coming in and I'm going in. Acho is like, all right, I wasn't prepared for this. So I'm not going there. But I wish they would have went there because if anything is an uncomfortable conversation with a black man, it is two black men having an uncomfortable conversation, right? One Nigerian American and one Van Lathan, whatever you want to call him, a Louisianian, <laughs> right? They should have went there. Damn, why are people so scared these days to go at it? We learn from that. That onion makes you cry, but boy, them layers. 
mm, you got to peel them back. They tasty, man. That's the that's the right seasoning and the right spices you need to go beyond these meat and potato binary conversations we keep having. But that was interesting because I know everybody got caught up in that. And I got obviously part of that wash. Um, I'm not taking the side. Um, Van went there. Emotional Butler's gangsta. I should. I wish I had that as a Wileyism first. Um, Acho handled himself with class, you know. But sometimes, and I, I'm guilty of this. That high road shit ain't for everybody, man. Funk that. <laughs> Tell that fool what you feel. Like I'm classy too, but shh, I guess the root of class is ass. And I'm gonna show you my. You showing your ass? I'm gonna show my ass. Acho should have showed his ass because I think he could have had a better conversation. He came out of that. And now y'all lighting him up. And I don't think that's appropriate, but I think he asked for it. When you don't want to go there, you know what they say. You keep your mouth closed. We're going to assume. And they're going to make an ass out of you and me. So <laughs> and they making an ass out of Acho. And they trying to throw me in it. Trust me. I know what y'all doing. And I know why y'all feel that way. But my other co-host before, um, Jason Whitlock. Another one of the guys that privately is the homie. I know y'all don't like Whitlock. Some of y'all. I know a lot of y'all love Whitlock. Trust me, I get both. <laughs> so if you don't like Whitlock, you don't get all the love Whitlock gets because you don't like him. And the algorithm is rigging it for you. <laughs> and if you love Whitlock, then you don't know how many people hate him probably. Or you do because Whitlock always talks about it. But the algorithm is rigging it for you too, right? Giving you more of what you want. Keeping you in your echo chamber. Team message. I'm in the middle of it because I'm like, I agree with this. I agree with this. I agree with this. Watching Fearless. Oh, man. Why he say that? Why he say that? Oh, that was dope. But why did he say this one? He blamed uh, the death. Mm. How do you blame a death for Tyree Nichols on baby mama culture, single mama culture, right? And those are two things getting conflated in this moment. But I know what he's trying to say. But you shouldn't have tried. Um, and more importantly, you shouldn't have said it right now, I think, is what people were saying. It's kind of in that Skip Bayless moment of like, uh, is this the time to say that? And is this appropriate? And don't term it single mama, baby mama, because it's absentee father. <laughs> and where's daddy? Instead of like, you know, like bouncing out. But that's my boy. I can't lie. I know y'all don't like him. Some of y'all. Oh, well. Um, I'm going to listen to him every single time and I'm going to give him his respect when necessary. Um, this moment caught me in some, some strays, caught me, you know, shrapnel hitting me. That's your friend. That's your boy. No one agrees with everything I say. So I hope I don't agree with everything they say. And if I do, and if they do, we ain't friends because we don't exist. Keep it real. But whoa, y'all lighting his ass up. <laughs> lighting him up. I couldn't believe it. It was wild, too. I listened to the interview. I was like, ooh. But who doesn't have it? I mean, if you say enough words, make enough comments, me, I got, I stepped in it before, too. So I'm looking at this situation like, yeah, Whitlock, you did too much on this one. Um, it's, it's just a conflation, you know? Like, there are great kids from single mamas. They're great. Like, the culture at whole, we got to fix the nuclear family, y'all. We got to fix family. Fix the family, fix the future. He knows. Willock and I know we're on the same page with that. But that doesn't mean when things go awry, you blame 
one parent and actually the parent that's doing the more responsible thing, even though they may fail in that moment, they're even more responsible than the absent one who certainly is setting that kid up for failure. So I get where he was trying to go. I get his heart in that one. But boy, not only bad timing, but bad summation. Um, I don't think it applied here, but that's how the game goes. Um, my two dogs, love y'all. And when I step in it, sorry, <laughs> they're going to light y'all asses up too. Uh, but y'all bringing out receipts now. Got Acho from Jimmy Kimmel. Acho tomorrow, he learned black culture in college. Now, this is where I'm like, yeah, light them up. <laughs> you learn black culture in college and a decade later, I guess you're a 10 year old, basically in black culture. You're 10 years old in black culture. You're, you're leading the uncomfortable conversations with a black man series. That's when people really like, dog, I don't think you're qualified. And I know he's not qualified to do that. But me and him had a private conversation that I'll leave private, but I'll give you one of the nuggets I dropped. Hopefully he picked it up. I was like, dog, you're not curing racism. So I wouldn't profess, I wouldn't address, and I wouldn't dress up yourself as someone who may cure racism. Um, you may be moving this ball forward, but don't fumble. Um, that's all. But look, it got him where he is. It helped him pop. And his intentions are pure. Hmm. Pure in this sense. <laughs> I mean, look, you got Oprah with you. It's big business too, but um, it's pure in this sense. He really means well. That's why Van kept apologizing to him. He knew the dude came from a good place, but he was like, you come from a good place, but boy, your ass done landed in the wrong place. <laughs> mm. And in case y'all like, damn, Wiley don't give a fuck. No, I actually do. That's why I talk about my friends as well. This is my mantra. Two ways. One, I played ball my whole life, including in the NFL, a decade, right? I got paid. I had a job. I had a passion to translate the sport, which included talking about players, talking about the game, talking about the locker room, telling y'all stories. I also broadcast for 20-some years. So I got a passion for it, which is telling y'all about the broadcasters, <laughs> the people, the culture. The shows. So since I played ball, I could talk about ball and the people involved. Since I broadcasted, I could talk about the broadcasters and the people involved. Not a hater, y'all. I just tell the truth too early. All right. Speaking of telling the truth, early and late, Jalen Rose. Woo! That fake trolling about the Cowboys. I'm glad I didn't make a career of fake trolling the Cowboys. I thought he was talking about Stephen A. I can't lie. And then... Thank you. Thank you, people out there. I love y'all so much. Wisdom of the crowd, bro. That's why I engage with the fans so much. That's why y'all my partners. That's why I'm creating this show where my co-host is you. For real. It's coming. Brinks TV. Reach TV. Check me out. I'm not lying. Y'all going to be my co-host. Wait till y'all see this show. Wait till y'all doing the show with me. Wait till y'all win this ca these cash prizes, oh, gift cards, oh, bonuses. Oh. It's going to be silly, but I digress. <laughs> but damn, he went at Skip Bayless again. Y'all remember that that famous moment on what was it? Cold pizza or early first take 
when he called Skip out, talking about he ain't, what do you call him? He ain't call him Zippo. That was my nickname in basketball. I was sorry as hell. Oh, I love when I go to a gym and people pick me first. I'm always the first pick overall. I'm LeBron. When I go to a regular run or a gym, she. 6'4", 270, walking in, still look like he can move, first pick. <laughs> Oops, yo bad. I can't play no basketball. Stop stereotyping. But um, he called Skip out, what was that, 15 years ago? And now we back here again, calling him out again. I love it. Why do I love it? Because y'all got to talk this out. <laughs> and if y'all don't talk this out, like Acho found out, if you don't want to talk about it, Oh, the people will help you talk about it. <laughs> the people will finish your conversation for you. Um, the deepest thing about this that I love, the life lesson I found in this, <clears throat> and I respect Jalen for this. He got a problem with people's lack of credibility since they never did it, slash they talk about everybody like they did it. Mm. So it's not that you haven't done it. Because, like, who's going to clown Bill Belichick? Or, you know what I mean? Like Sean Payton, like anything or any broadcaster. Who's over here really going to clown you because you didn't do it at the highest level? Like, I don't even look at it like that. That's simple. That's simple-minded. But when you are not playing within the borders of like, I guess, respectful broadcasting, as we say it, when you start nicknaming grown men, Westbrook and stuff like that. Westbrook the homie too? I know he don't like that. I'm sure. Um when you start going there, you're calling grown men out their name without their permission, and it's funny to you, but it's not funny to them. Like, I don't like making jokes that ain't funny to y'all. Like, <laughs> that's the whole point of the joke. If it's just funny to me, I can keep it to myself. Like, nobody else need to hear it. But if it's like, it's not funny to you, and I'm talking about you, not y'all. If I'm talking about y'all, oh, take the hell. I don't give a damn. But if I'm talking about you, I just got a bigger heart than that. I'm like, nah. It's another way to jab that fool and slap uh, slap that fool upside the head without calling him out his name, right? Like, I wouldn't have to call you West Brick or something like that. I'll just call you something else that you'd be like, damn, I can't say nothing to that. <laughs> like, be sophisticated. Find another word. Find another way. But still hit him with the same punch. So Jalen got a problem with that. And I like that problem. Because you didn't do it. All right. No flag on the play. But now you coming at cats, not their persona, but their character or who they are, and you didn't do it? Oh, man. Now we got to talk. But then Skip ain't going to talk about it. We saw how that went last time they did talk about it. So it's kind of interesting to watch that, like watch it all play out. Because I'm watching to see when is this going to really have the collision? Like we got old media, new media. I, I see that civil war out there what is it draymond and jj reddick versus <laughs> Stephen a and skip you know the old guards the blue chips the blue bloods um it's funny to watch that but i really want to see where are we going to land in terms of decency in terms of respect in terms of how our entertainment is balanced with education Ooh, another one <coughs> Because that's what we're doing here. Like we're 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 entertaining you while educating you, right? And there's a balance in that. And there are flags on the play. There are boundaries to that. And I, I'm liking that people are starting to highlight those boundaries, starting to put those boundaries in check. 
and checking the people who cross them. <laughs> like, let's go to war. Uh, beautiful place to be right now. I'll tell you one place is not beautiful right now. If you're Dak Prescott to be, it's not only a Dallas Cowboy because they lighten your ass up, but online, like you can't search Dak Prescott right now because his own team trolled him in a tweet. How y'all going to troll your own player? Just basically blame the game on him. I mean, y'all ain't need all them words. Just say Dak fault, you know, hashtag Dak fault. (laughs) And then that would have been easier. I hate friendly fire. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to be shooting at the opponent, quote unquote, and then get one in the back? You know what I say, the Wiley isn't right. Real friends, real homies, real organizations shoot you in the chest, not the back. Look at that. Face that. Talk to that. That's it. We don't need that. <laughs> but they turned on them. And it was sad to see, kind of, because not only did they do it, but they left it up. Like they Jerry Jones approves, huh? Hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Not only did they do it, but they left it up. Like, yeah, you know, middle finger to the face. What it do? What you gonna do? Um, it sounds like they're just laying the foundation of a DAC disruption or a DAC departure. That's what's happening. You know, like anybody, it's baseball, basically. You go up there and swing once or they get one by you, it's just strike one. But you're that much closer to striking out, right? But you ain't going nowhere right now. And that's what this situation is. DAC ain't going nowhere right now. But they're laying that foundation. And you're like, oh, that's that's what we're doing? We calling that? (laughs) <laughs> Dak like Dak's like that ain't the strike zone. Oh, hey, oh. Jerry Jones somewhere. Yeah, no. I heard of this firestorm of Dak, but um, let it be because we're not happy. We're not satisfied. People are starting to think they got a glass ceiling in Dallas. Like, can we win with Dak Prescott? I think so. I mean, I think you could win it all with Dak Prescott. Shoot. People were writing off Jalen Hurts. Now look at Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl. Is Dak better than Jalen Hurts? All right, stop. I know what y'all saying. (laughs) No. Even if you say no, he ain't that far from Jalen Hurts, is he? And if y'all say yeah, okay, let me get off this podcast. (laughs) Like, damn. The gap between Dak and Jalen Hurts, let's just really imagine that, if not see that. I know he's in the Super Bowl. But how much better is he in Dak, right? What'd he throw for I mean, that was a tough game. You're going to get a number one defense. What do you throw for? Under 200? Mm, that can't do that in advance? I mean, mm, I don't know. So, <clears throat> y'all stay off the sauce. Y'all, don't don't hit me with that one. Don't hit me with that one. Like, the gap between Jalen Hurts and Dak. So, it's not over for Dak. But better watch his ass before he strike out. Speaking about being on that sauce, woo, Stetson Bennett arrested. Y'all know who he is. For public intoxication, Georgia quarterback, former Georgia quarterback, who's like 96 years old, about to go pro, right? I don't know where he getting drafted, where he getting drafted, but he getting drafted. You know how drunk you got to be to get arrested for being drunk? (laughs) And you're talking to somebody who's been drunk before. And to be real, since I've been to Vegas a thousand times, drunk in public, Miami, New Orleans, bodies, bodies, bodies. <laughs> How the hell are you so drunk? You get arrested for being drunk. I need to see video. 
I need to see this. And you're supposed to be in the draft pre-combine process, getting ready for your pro day. And you lit like that. I mean, you won the national championship. Hip, hip, hooray. You ain't the only one. Who gets that lit that they get arrested for being lit? Not a DUI, which is different. Like you're, you're driving a vehicle and blah, blah, blah. Nah, you so soft up that outside, outside where the civilians are, and they got to be lit too because wherever you are is a bar, I hope. There's people that's drunk with you, I hope. If not, you got a deeper problem. <laughs> you by yourself going rogue and lit like that. How you get arrested for being drunk? Damn. But I ain't going to lie, I was in Houston one year Super Bowl, and I saw it, leaving the club. <clears throat> this is different. You know, in Houston, they got them horses. The cop, cops be riding the horses. I hate that. I'd rather a cop come up to me, full blast, sirens, color, lights, spotlight on my face. Marcellus, get out the car. Suspect, get out the car. Whatever the hell they're going to call me. Dude, get out the car. Whatever. I'd rather that than walking by that horse and his ass and that tail just. <laughs> and you can't do nothing. If that horse tail hits you and you just. Shoo it away. That horse about to... Ooh, not only the horse has a license to light your ass up, the policeman can't because the horse is a policeman. I didn't know that until I was in Houston that year. They were like, yo, you touched that horse, you got a problem. But I saw it. <laughs> Somebody was lit. Stetson Bennett Sr. I don't know who the hell this dude was. He came out the club, lit, lit, lit. that horse tail went, wah, wah. <laughs> and he was lit. Not his fault. His fault, though. <laughs> He was so lit. Man, this dude, you got to, that weave hit him in the head. Wop, that sucker looked. He didn't even know what it was. He didn't know it was a personal horse. He went, wop, bop, bop. And them cops jumped off that horse, them horses. <laughs> and they start horsing his ass around. They start horse playing with him. I was like, damn. Point being, that's the only time I've seen somebody get arrested for being drunk. I've seen cops just look at him like, go that way, move out the way. Come on, man. Get an Uber. I've seen all of that. I've never seen them say, sir, come here. Turn around. Hands behind your back. Is it, what is that? Remy? E&J? <laughs> Smirnoff? <laughs> Game day vodka? <laughs> Jack Daniels? Like, what the? You're under arrest for having a fifth in you. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I'm glad nobody got hurt. He just got arrested. But damn. I know how lit I get when I'm out at places that I ain't driving, and I'm like, I'm out. And I know I'm, I done messed with cops before. And don't be like, oh, because you're a celebrity, because you're famous. Y'all better stop. Y'all acting like I'm on Access Hollywood every night. Ain't nobody always knowing me. <laughs> big old ass. They be like, who that big old black dude? <laughs> that's Sometimes that be my name out. Dudes be like, who the big black dude? Like, oh, that's Riley. Oh, what's up, boy? I'm like, <laughs> man, I'll go up to a cop lit. Be like, bruh. <sighs> what you doing? <laughs> and they be like, what? I mean, they people first before they put that uniform on and all that. So I crack up when cats get caught up like this. I'm like, damn, how lit you gotta be? Um, The most lit I've ever been in public, <clears throat> definitely my bachelor party. Um, Cancun. No, can't Cancun. See, this is how lit I was. It wasn't even Cancun. It was Cabo. <laughs> Oh, one of them countries in Mexico, that's what a C. Um, lit, lit. You ever get so lit that you be like 
sitting there like, yo, this blurry, bro. Then you're like, oh, this ain't good. And even like, stop it. You're like, and then you hit the DJ quick line. I never drink again if you just let me live tonight. But you can't stop the avalanche. You can't stop the bum rush. And all I remember is there was this outdoor shower. And I was so lit. I thought taking an outdoor shower would wake me up. But that's only when you're slightly hydrated. When you in this situation, hydration situation I was in, mm-mm. That water going to just magnify it, just amplify it. So I got in there and I remember getting in there and I was like holding the wall. Like, oh, whoo. Then I tried to turn around, slip, fail, back. <laughs> I was like, damn. And then I, I'm getting up. I'm fine, but I'm getting up. And I guess because I am fine. It was like girls looking and laughing. And one of them was like walking towards me. And all I know, and I was sitting there like, oh, this is about to be cracking. Bachelor party starting. <laughs> and then my boys come in like cavalry. The, 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 the hater squad. Let me call them in that moment. I'm lit. I'm like, oh, I mean, them girls probably bigger than me. I don't know. But I'm like, oh, they coming over here. They looking at me. I'm pumped. I, I stood back up. And then my boys, uh-uh, uh They're like, hell no. Nah. Nope, nope blocking me and they were blocking because the camera phones and videos and they were like man them girls put you on tmz right now i'm like for what being drunk at my own bachelor party like that ain't no crime stetson bennett somewhere like yeah it is <laughs> that was a good one i can't even lie that was a good joke good timing right there good timing <laughs> who the hell gets arrested for being drunk stop it y'all grow up do better <laughs> Speaking of doing better, um, I think a lot of people are still having the conversation, uh, duly noted, about the NFL hiring practice, especially with black coaches, after seeing Steve Wilkes not get the job in Carolina. Hmm. This show is called More To It, so guess what? There's more to it than just color. Um, Look, he got six of the Panthers' seven wins. So people were like, yo, he going to keep the job, right? Yeah, six or seven. Yeah, that's great. But then they were like, um, he not the right man for the job. It's Frank Wright, right? All right. And obviously there's a color difference there. So, all right. What's really going on? Um, Let me first do some uh, technical reading. Uh, the attorney for Steve Wilkes said, he he was disappointed that Carolina hired Frank Wright. Um, this is his quote. Y'all ready? There's a legitimate race problem in the NFL, and we can assure you that we will have more to say in the coming days. Now, he's already a part of the Brian Flores lawsuit, Steve Wilkes, so I'm sure there will be more <laughs> said about this. <clears throat> Let's talk about this. The only layer I would add to this is that would really give it even different context, greater context. Um, we all know nepotism. We all know cronyism. You hire your circle. You hire your family. You hire your friend. Um, Frank Wright, you can't you can't really call him a slouch as a head coach, despite not working out in Indianapolis. Um, you could just say he couldn't find a quarterback, therefore you can do something. 
Well, you're going to a situation where they really don't have a quarterback, so good luck with that. But just staying in the race lens with this one, here's something that doesn't get discussed enough, and I'm going to bring light to it. Because everybody knows this, but I don't know why nobody really wants to go there. I've been there a couple times before, but let's go again. Not this example, because Steve Wilkes certainly qualified for this job. I don't know his relationship status with the ownership. And I don't know Frank Wright's, but Frank Wright qualifies. Steve Wilkes qualifies. Okay, so let's throw this one out. But this sparks a greater conversation because there's more to it. In general, when you talk about black NFL head coaches versus white NFL head coaches, let's just start with the averages before we get to the edges, to the extremes. There are more white players, former players, or just white ball-playing lovers trying to coach than black. I'm going to say it again. There are more people in the line of white coaches, not just because there are more white people, (laughs) than black. Okay, we know that, right? Like, that's not that difficult to digest, is it? And if so, man, have fun with your friends, man. You know, we're we're the black people, 11 to 13% of this country. And then now you're going to say, oh, oh, there are more black coaches. No, they're not. There are not more black coaches in waiting. There are more white. That's part one. That's a simple, I hope you can't argue that one. I hope you don't argue that one. If not, if you do, you're going to miss me. Okay, let's go from there. My summation through experience has been this. The white player is jumping in that line earlier than the black player. Now, when that happens in general society, we usually blame exposure, right? You weren't exposed to it. A black person wasn't exposed to it. The white player was exposed to it. But not in this context. We all know football, and we all know if you're going to be a coach, oh, you're going to be a grad assistant. You're going to have to slum it out. You're going to have to get get take your lumps, build your resume, get to getting early, right? And typically I've seen whether that grind wasn't appealing to my black teammates versus my white teammates, or regardless of appeal, the white player jumped in there earlier. In general, to the point where I was like, okay, not only do they have a greater group in terms of numbers, aggregate numbers to pull from, but in terms of how long they've been in the grinder processor, uh, building their resume earlier, longer. You could say because, oh, well, they didn't have a chance to go pro like the brother did. (laughs) You could go there. But I'm talking about pro on pro. I'm talking about in my locker room. How many dudes at what age did it hit them? I'm going to be a coach. That age is younger in general for white than black. Just the way it was. Maybe it's changed. But there's still a longer line because there's more of them. And they get in there as early, if not earlier, than black. Than black coaches in waiting. Now, those two things are obviously going to rig the hiring practice. We ain't even got to relationships. We haven't even gotten to qualifications. We haven't even gotten to how you get to the front of that line. 
But I think what we do, and I think it's lazy for real, but hey, we live life on the, the edges, extremes. Like we only talk about the best of the best. There is a closer gap. There is a leveling of the playing field when you talk about the best black coaches and the best white coaches. Yeah, because they're both qualified. But then in terms of the depth of the qualification and how many are as qualified, that's when we need to start digging into the conversation. But we don't. We just say, hey, he good, he good, he good, he good. But then we don't really understand or discuss that quantity. We like to make it only a quality conversation. And that's interesting because I like to go both. Um, You have more from one side than another side. But that shouldn't exclude either side. But when we get to that place where, okay, who is in rotation? Like being real, let's just use who's the top black candidate right now? Steve Wilkes? Okay, give it to him. Eric Bieniemy, Give it to him. Byron Leftwich one year ago, it's already, man, and that's my boy, went from, okay, penthouse to, I don't know, that fast. But that happens for the white white coaches too. Like the best white available coach is who? Sean Payton? That's different, y'all. That ain't Steve Wilkes. Um, Jim Harbaugh? Mm, that's different. See what I'm saying here? So you can have a quality conversation. You can have a quantity conversation. We don't have the quantity conversation, I think, on purpose because we know it's a greater number with white coaches. But even right now, in this moment, no matter how much Rooney rule you over here trying to profess, right now, do a BCS ranking. <laughs> do a ranking of who's the best coaches. Mm. Content of character, as they say. Content of resume. Write them down, y'all. Write them down. Ooh, ooh. Mm. What number is the first black coach that's available? It's interesting. So I just saw that story, and I just wanted to add the quality versus quantity conversation to it. Because you know me, man. I think it's just the wrong game to play when you racialize everything or to a greater extent than it exists. NFL is trying its best to legislate interests trying to legislate desire into this conversation with the Rooney rule. I said it 20 years ago. I'm going to say it now. The Rooney rule won't work. The only thing that's going to work is competency. The only thing that's going to work and competency is not just, do you qualify? It's on both sides, white and black, how qualified are you? You can be so qualified if you're white or black that you can just take time off. And then people be like, yo, we still need him. Jim Harbaugh, whether it's him or Sean Payton, or if Tony Dungy tomorrow said, you know what? I'm thinking about coaching. <laughs> what y'all going to say? Oh, my God, we got an opportunity for that. You see what I'm saying? Y'all need to stop. So let's just make sure we're looking at it the right way. Because things are different. Things have changed. Speaking of change, the NBA has announced that the All-Star game has some changes in terms of the team selection. I like this. All right, first of all, the All-Star reserves chosen by coaches. That's going to happen February 2nd. Blah, blah, blah. LeBron James, team captain Giannis. I ain't going to ever say his last name because I'm not with Acho anymore. And Acho can only say it. Acho used to say I told you to kill that last name. I can't do it. Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo. 
I'll go through that Nigerian on that thing. That thing sounds different. Okay, so anyway, let's talk about what it is now. All-Stars, the reserve team, which side you're on, Giannis, Team Giannis, or Team LeBron, will be decided right before tip-off in a draft between LeBron and Giannis. Like right before the game. That's dope. That is dope. You got this one right, NBA. Woo, I love this. So you know you an all-star, but you don't know you're playing with LeBron, you're playing with Giannis, and who else you playing with? Oh, this is so schoolyard. Like I got, I got, I got Steph. Uh, uh no, 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 I got, I got, no, no, I can't take him. Damn it. Oh God. Oh, it's gonna be so sick. Jason Tatum over here, Steph Curry over there, Luca over there. Jokic over there and beat over there. Like they gonna, I, I got, I got. Uh, the reason I say I got because there's two things I always tell my team because every practice I make them pick their own team because I want them to understand what competition looks like. Competition starts where you compete against yourself first, then you compete against your teammates' social circle second, and then you compete against the world at large, your opponent last. And I love it when everybody's sitting there like, "Oh, that's the homie." And he ain't the homie right now because he got to pick a better team. <laughs> he got to pick the best teammate. He ain't looking at you like we the homie. Like, you know, if I'm LeBron, I'm like, damn, KD my dog. But I got to take Anthony Davis. But he my teammate too. But then I can't take KD next because I got to get Jokic. <laughs> you know, I the center. Like, sick. But I make my, my kids always pick because I want them to feel that. That apprehension, that little weirdness, that anxiety of like, oh, that's my boy, but I know what I need. Not what I want to do, but what I need to do, right? NBA nailed this one, man, because they're going to make them dudes go out there and ruin some relationships in the, in the sake of, hey, I just got to get the best thing for me. So it's going to be funny to watch that. I'm pumped for the All-Star game. Not pumped for the Pro Bowl, but I'm going to watch the Pro Bowl to see should I eat crow? Because there's no way I believe this Pro Bowl is going to make sense and be something that is entertaining and good for the brand. Like, flag football? We just saw y'all playing real football, and y'all about to play some flag football. There's a part of me that's like, I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. Oh, I want to see me be wrong on this one. But when they got to the point where they were just running by ball carriers and tapping them two-hand touch, I was like, oh, it's a wrap. And then I was like, beyond that, it's just funny to watch because nobody wants to play extra football. I told y'all, nobody chooses football. Football chooses them. And when I played in the Pro Bowl and back in those days, it was after the season. Man, fool, look. Whether we didn't make the playoffs, we got to wait a month and then play real football. Boy, stop. Boy, stop. Or you just made it to the Super Bowl and you got to wait a week and play real football again. Boy, stop. Nobody's trying to play real football extra real football nobody there's no unconditional love for football except dick buck kiss and ray lewis <laughs> everybody else i don't think they really love football to the fullest nobody right like being real come on that's why the pro bowl suck <coughs> it sucked because it's like man, i ain't trying to do this unless i gotta do this and that check gotta validate me doing this right so that's the game plan right and they knew it and they were like damn Pro Bowl sucks, but it's in Hawaii, so people still like it and come, right? Then them numbers start going down. All right, forget it. Move it to Vegas. Everyone loves Vegas. Yeah, we love Vegas. We just don't love the Pro Bowl, <laughs> like especially the players. Man, I ain't playing no real ball. 
Oh, y'all heard that? Excuse me. Then Castar just running by each other. Freeze tag. They out there playing eight-year-old freeze tag, and they grown as NFL players. So now this is the this is to me the Hail Mary. Flag football skills challenge. Y'all been doing the skills challenge. I never watched that in full. Boring. You already went to the combine. I don't want to see that. You already went to the combine. You're going to see it 10 years later after you slower. (laughs) (laughs) Old ass trying to run through some cones. Man, we've been seeing that. Boring. Put the 21-year-olds on. Let them do the combine thing. I watched that at NFL Network. I watched that all day. So, point being, I hope the Pro Bowl is good because I am a naysayer. I am not feeling it. Speaking of not feeling it, I'm not feeling Akon's comments on men and women. Y'all see this? Um, let me just say it. He's, uh, his quote is, a woman can never compare to the man. <laughs> not to a man, to the man. Oh, he done went Old Testament or something. I don't know where the hell he is. Quote, woman need to understand their roles. Maybe he said women. I don't want to make him sound like he can't speak. Women need to understand their roles. Uh-oh. I think uh, I've learned in relationships that not only do women need to understand their roles, but uh, men as well. Uh, We both need to understand our roles. They're not just rigidly or narrowly defined. Our roles, our roles, our roles, because I've been through so many stages of role development. Now, I'm going to say something bad and say something good. His comments sound sexist uninformed and ill-informed, which is different. But he did make Soul Survivor and locked up, so <laughs> showed the brother some mercy. <laughs> like, oh, ain't kind of young Jesus. Like, that's pardon right now. You get pardoned when you say stuff like that. But now nah, let's get real with this. I grew up with my parents. Their roles weren't defined. At least it didn't look that way to me. Maybe I was too young to understand it. But I was like, they're not really defined. Okay, my daddy didn't take out the trash. I did. My daddy brought home money. We were on welfare, but then we got off it. Food stamps, but we got off it. My mom went to work. She brought home money. My mom used to beat up my daddy sometimes. My dad never started any fights, at least I saw. I think he was more of the like the, the verbal starter. <laughs> You're like, he going to instigate, and then you're going to throw the first punch. You're going to be like, look what you do. He threw his rocks and hit his hands, right? Uh, my mom used to put hands on my daddy. She's 6'1", 250, got them paws. I was all over the place. I was like, who is who? I never grew up thinking, oh, that's a man's job. My sister took out the trash with me. <laughs> she also washed dishes. I had to wash dishes. She liked washing them, so she did it more. I liked the trash, so I did it more. I hated vacuuming. Like, I, I, what the hell? I don't know. But then I got into relationships, and that's probably why I was pretty bad at relationships. One, because I didn't want a relationship to work. I really wanted to sabotage them all. I wanted to be single, but just have somebody to boo up with, (laughs) like to have a companion. I ain't going to lie. I think my purest of hearts wanted to be married, especially when I was engaged out of college. But that NFL was too fun. It was, I mean, it was, oh, it was a slice of heaven. I was like, hell no. Everywhere I go, I'm noticed, I'm loved, I'm appreciated. I ain't even got to get tattoos on my face to get girls to be interested in me. Man, stop. But I didn't know roles. My role, starting with my role, not her role, my role. 
So that was part one. In every relationship, I started to tighten the bolts on learning what a role looks like. I was like, damn, this is different. These dynamics are different. Like, bro, grow up. You know what Kanye say? You know, I will always find out, always find something wrong. <laughs> You've been putting up with my shit just way too long. That song always grabs me in the same place, deep in the heart. You mother sucker. I was wrong. But I ain't going to lie. Some of them girls were wrong, too. I knew what they wanted, their intentions. Anyway, I didn't have great role definition or dynamics. Then I met my wife. Oh, my God. We still going through this tug of war. Danger. Uh, We've been married eight, going on nine years in June. Good Lord. I'm still learning about her. I'm still learning about me. I can't believe it. That's why I know we never get divorced. Always threatening her, though. I say, soon as that last kid out the house, soon as Olivia is 18, she going to Columbia. Look at me. I'm like, purse. Because <laughs> that's what my parents did. You know what I mean? That ain't nothing but my trauma speaking. <laughs> that ain't nothing but my, my issues coming to life. <laughs> I'm projecting. But in all seriousness, I was like, dog, I ain't never getting divorced. Because this is like a journey. This is such discovery. I'm wrong so often. And I can't even stop myself from being wrong. I get triggered. I get triggered. I'll be like, oh, damn, I'm acting like my daddy. I'm like, that ain't even me. Damn, I'm acting like my mama. That ain't even me. That's my uncle right there. Damn, I'm acting like him. Not even me. So the my best days in my marriage are still in front of me is all I'm saying. And I'm sure she feels the same way. Even though we have a great marriage and great loving marriage and we love each other to death. We're going to make it to death, too, because you suckers out here. Y'all getting divorced left and right. Anyway, um, literally this morning, why did I bring this conversation up? Akon, do better. I'm riding in the car with my three kids, taking them to school. As I'm riding to school, my daughter, my four-year-old, my 99 percentile, remember I told y'all, one day into being four years old, She's already 99 percentile for four-year-olds. Oh, I can't wait to that last day before she turned five. We go to the doctor. She's going to be 137 percentile. I can't wait. She in the back. She's in the middle row. I'm riding in my Elon. And I hear her say, MJ, MJ. She loves MJ. Not only loves MJ, but looks up to MJ. And is not shy to show it. She looks up to her big brother. MJ, MJ. Girls are better than boys. Yep, girls are better than boys. Now, why did she say that? Uh, once you've been listening to Beyonce, who runs the world? Girls. Uh, I remember when that song came out, I was like, oh, God. But then I was like, Jane Brown, it's a man's world. So I'm like, man, when y'all going to stop making these songs binary? <laughs> like, pick a side. Anyway, she has not heard that song. <laughs> Let me stop. Um, she said it because she went to her brother's classmates birthday party this weekend and it was all boys basically tearing it up couple girls there but it was just boyed out boyed out and i'm sure because she kept coming back here and there saying they said this one was saying dumb one was saying stupid one hitter one hitter and my i told you she 99 percentile she oh she gonna take it you gonna think she's seven um I'm sure she heard that boys are better than girls. That's how little kids play, right? So she had to flip it. MJ, MJ, girls are better than boys. (laughs) 
I, yep, I said it. Girls are better than boys. MJ was like, he was stuck. You know, one, because he didn't want to have an argument. He was watching his uh, iPad. He was watching, who was he watching? Oh, Peppa Pig was coming on for him. And Captain Underpants. I don't know what the hell. But two, he was like, how do I respond to that without putting her down? And that's when daddy jumped in. And this is why it's so important to be involved parents, to be their parents. We'll get into those conversations later. The difference between a nuclear parent, you're there and you're not there, but you're checking in. Big difference. We'll get there. Another conversation. And immediately I jump in. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Because I don't like, you know me, I don't like them absolutes. I don't like them alls. All shouldn't speak for all. One shouldn't speak for all, I should say. And she said, girls, all are better than boys. All. And I said, no, mama. I said, some girls are better at some things better than boys. But then some boys are better than girls at some things. And I could see her little eyebrow. She looking at me. She got that ice cube eyebrow right now. Like, what you say? <laughs> you don't like girls? I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> no. And I said, look, MJ is faster than you. Now he's also three years older, but he is faster than her. I said, and you're more flexible than him. And then it lit up in her head. She's like, yep. She said, that's right, MJ. When you come home, you're going to run. And I want to see you run your fastest. And when I go home, I'm a flexible. And I want to be as flexible as I could be. <laughs> I was like, that's not how you use flexible. But the point was taken. She realized she had power in doing some things even better than her brother. But he also was like, yep, I got power in doing some things better. And that's how it should be. Nuanced, right? Not absolute. You can do some things better than your brother. And he could do some things better than you. But who runs the world? Neither one of y'all. <laughs> Both of y'all, if anything. That's how we got to look at it. Now, speaking of looking at stuff, let's look at the whole concept of marriage differently. Because Lala Anthony just went out there, had some comments. Uh, is her last name still Anthony? She still, boy, if you, if you divorce me and keep the name, oh, I'm looking at you like, oh, oh, I should have known from hello it wasn't going to work. <laughs> I wish it would be Anna Marie Wiley and we five years divorced. Like, girl. You took all my money. Can't you take your, can I get my name back? <laughs> you taking my, you taking my money. I want my name at least, right? Lala Anthony thinks that most married people are quote miserable, wrong. And that people don't want to get married anymore. Wrong. It's your divorced ass. You sound divorced. <laughs> Just looking at life through what you're going through, your circumstances. That's not how people come to L.A. all the time. They're like, L.A. is just full of Mercedes and like Ferraris. Wrong. There are more Hondas, Hondas and Toyotas. You just maybe only looking at those things or maybe you got one and that's all you see. But miss me with that selective perception. Lala. Who looks amazing in BMF right now. <laughs> I got to say it. Woo. I can see why. That's uh, what's Meech's brother. I forget his name. Uh Dang, the other one, whatever his name is, so like a T. He hollering at her. I see why. Um, but I got two of my best friends who just recently got divorced the last couple of years. So this just sound like divorce talk. Divorce is in the air. Divorce is in the air. And marriage is in the air. That's why some people are getting divorced, because you get married, you get divorced. Half of y'all, at least. <sighs> but she sound like the person that got kicked out the party. 
And now all of a sudden the party was whack. You were you were in that party for 11 years. Now you out. Oh, it's whack. Nobody even liked that party. Nobody even want to go there. The music sucked. DJ weak. <laughs> but was it that bad when you were in it? Was it that bad when you got into it? You know the Wileyism. For every relationship that ends, you spend half of that time breaking up. So five and a half years of 11-year marriage with Carmelo, the beast, the great Carmelo. <clears throat> sound a little salty, but I know she not because I do hear this conversation a lot. Are you happy, Marcel's for real? Shut your ass. <laughs> no, I'm unhappy and I'm staying. Um, I will say this to your point. It's a lot of work and I've never seen anybody go through work, training camp, work, uh, hours on Wall Street as an analyst, like real grind work. And say it's easy. And say it's fun. Or say it's not miserable. Training camps, yeah, it's miserable. <laughs> Did I quit the team? No. Uh, I think you got to have a mindset about marriage that you get married for yourself first and your relationship first. You and how you're feeling in that relationship. Them and how they're making you feel in that relationship. You guys in that union. You getting married for yourself in that relationship first. But your ass better stay married for the kids. <laughs> like, I ain't lying. Like, the kids become, the family, the unit becomes the glue. So you started to glue this together in the first place because of how you felt, how she felt, how y'all felt. But what keeps, what takes it from Elmer's glue to crazy glue to like, it just can't be pulled apart has to be the family unit you her her you and them kids let me tell you why because those kids are the recreation of yourself in essence but in a potentially greater form and that's the beauty of this circle of life cycle of life <clears throat> if you do it that way staying in that relationship oh the balancing act you give your kids, me driving my daughter to school today and telling her, uh, boys or girls, neither one runs the world. Neither one. We do. <laughs> Both of y'all. That balancing act, I would have missed that, right? Divorce makes you miss those moments. Divorce has you on a schedule where one week you all in. The other week, part-time mama, part-time daddy. And it's just sad to see how family is just decaying. And worse, the concept of family is decaying. Most married people are miserable. Most? Really? Oh, maybe they're on that train to divorce because I know a lot of happily married people who have to work on it, who may be looked at as miserable, but really they're just putting in work. And that's how it's supposed to be. We're not in the infatuation stage anymore. We're not in the mall looking at her at hot dog on a stick anymore. It's not that. It's real grind. It's three kids looking at you saying, mama, 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 daddy, need this, need this, want this, got to have it. And you still got to find time for yourself. I just don't think that all marriages are bad. Some marriages are, some aren't. I don't think that most married people are miserable. 
I think most married people are working on it and some are going to fail. <laughs> but don't get it twisted. You put in 11 great years with the mellow and um, I'm eight in. So holler at me in three more. Let me make sure I, I pass y'all <laughs> before I start talking too much. But the concept of marriage, man, is taking some hits. Hopefully guys like myself and others who stay with it, stay committed and understand it's about us and the family unit can uplift its image. Oh, let's talk about something that needs to be uplifted. Oh, let's talk about this article right here where men spend seven hours a year hiding in the bathroom. You know what needs to be uplifted? The male's ego. (laughs) You know what needs to be uplifted? That men are emotional. We need to bring that conversation to light. Damn right I said it. Men, men are looking for escapism, right? Like, like diggable planet. Sound like a diggable planet song, right? Escapism. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. We go to the bathroom and hide from our wives. Miserable. Lala's right. <laughs> no, we go hide from our kids. We go hide from our boss. We go hide from our employees. We just go and hide. Why? Well, several reasons. One, men, and I thought it would be higher than seven hours for a whole year. I think it actually is. I know I go in there and my legs just fall off. They start cramping up, dead leg. I can't even get up. I'll be on that toilet for 30 minutes. (laughs) Instagram, social, emails, Twitter, texts. Looking at my wife just hit me. I'm like, "Mm." Lala said I'm miserable. I'm going to play it off. (laughs) Right? But in all seriousness, men are different. Our frequency is different in general, right? We deal with a world that beats us up a lot of times because we try to be logical and it tries to be emotional. And it's the collision, collision of those attributes. Those attributes just go at it. And I'm like, damn, I'm living in a world where everyone wants to talk about the journey. And I just want to get to the destination. (laughs) Like, where are we going with this? right in conversation you know us dudes where is this going (laughs) she's like let's just go and we'll figure it out right my kids dad come look at this i'm like look at what i want (laughs) first thing you'd be thinking look at what so you just need sometimes a tv timeout just go somewhere tap out man your wife your kids your world it's just the best tv timeout in the world man i just sit there my legs just going to sleep and it's the best feeling until you got to get up Oh, man. It's like that's what's going on for most people. Now, I know some of you men like, dog, that ain't the only reason why you're on that toilet. <laughs> I'm talking, that's y'all. That's y'all going into that that original industry, the virtual industry of uh, your other ladies. <laughs> Let's just say it ain't YouTube. It's you porn or whatever the hell y'all be doing on that toilet. I don't do that. Um not on the toilet, I mean. Uh, I'm laughing at y'all because seven hours. I'm like, what? Seven hours ain't enough. Now, if y'all talk about other places, I'll let your boy. But uh, it's just hilarious to see men got to tap out. Like, women tap out in different ways. Like, my wife would tap out like, oh, you can just see it. She's wearing it. Me, I'm not wearing it. But I'm about to go in that toilet and show you what I got on. <laughs> Put that damn armor and suit down and say, come on, enough is enough. Oh, man. Let's talk about these badass kids and this teacher that slams a kid for calling him the N-word. 
And another video out there where this girl is yelling at her teacher. You're not going to put your hands on me. But I don't think the teacher put their hands on the girl. I'm not sure. But all I know is seeing too many videos of these badass kids. I'm not going to speculate on their backgrounds, their family situation and dynamics, um, even though there are numbers to support stereotyping and guessing. Um, Educated guesses, uh, I will say. Here's the thing. I'm looking at it like, one, the N-word one. I didn't like the teacher in that moment because a teacher who gets called the N-word has a moment to teach. He has uh, some conflicting messages, but it's time to talk through it. Black people know that it's a weird place to have the N-word conversation amongst others. Because <laughs> it just makes you sound like the biggest hypocrite in the world. Oh, man, I use it because it's uh, it means king. Or, or I say it because, um, you know, I only say the A, not the E-R. Or I only say it as a term of endearment. Oh, so you grab the poison. Mm, try to distill it and you know purify it and then throw it at somebody would you want some purified poison thrown at you <laughs> nope oh man biggest hypocrite license to say it everywhere i go i hear some of the homies i used to say it first of all disclaimer i used to say it until like 10 15 years ago whatever um um so i'm not holier than thou y'all know me um but i don't say it anymore n-word you say it License to say it in song and culture amongst the homies. But when it's six one hundredths of a millimeter, which is skin complexion and skin <laughs> epidermis, when it's that depth, like if yours is white, oh, you can't say it. Even though I, I remember going to the Rose Bowl and literally a, a white kid comes up to me like, 13. He said, oh, Marcel's got to get a picture with you and talking, you know. I was like, yeah, 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 what's up, man? And, you know, we waiting on the songs to come on. And then I heard Tom Ford. Boom, 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 clap for what? Mm -mm. And that little white kid said it. And I looked at him and I was like, I don't even say that. I'm thinking this. And he just said it to me while asking for a picture from me. Then I, I panned up as I was looking at him like, not mad, but just like, damn. And I panned up. And I not only was hearing as I panned up, the whole crowd, which was mostly white, it's a Jay-Z, Beyonce concert, echo it. I mean, it didn't get quiet. It didn't go clap for what? It went clap for what? Boom, boom. And I was like, everybody said it. And then I looked up, Jay said it. All right, let's take this pick. <laughs> I mean, I felt like the culture gave him the license. But then you see instances like this where the teacher is slamming the kid for calling in work. You're like, which side are we on? What were we with this? I just think it's silly. I just think it's goofy to say something, but then say only I can say it as a culture. And I, I hear everybody, oh, no, you can do that. That's your family. That's your culture. But then I wouldn't say it aloud to everybody else, especially in sing-along. Like, what is music? Sing-along. Like, repeat my lyrics. Oh, by the way, repeat what I just said, but don't say that. 
I wouldn't do that because I'm also the same guy who grew up. I didn't care about mama jokes. I used to think that was the corniest shit alive. Somebody come to school and talk about your mama and you got mad. I'm like, oh, you don't even know your mama. <laughs> One, two, why does it matter? It's just a word. Like he's like, oh, he, you losing, you losing the joke battle. You losing in the dozens and you like, oh, your mama's short. Oh, don't say nothing about my mama. Okay, you short. <laughs> I'm like, you short because your mama's short. And cats get mad. I was like, man, I was just looking at these cats like, dog, y'all some damn fools, hypocrites, and contradicting y'all selves. Y'all getting mad at this? Y'all killing each other, but then y'all can't talk about his mama? And then I really felt weird because cats, you know, sometimes somebody lost their mom. And then somebody would say it against them. And that cat wouldn't even get mad. Just like me. If you talk about my mama right now, she's dead. Y'all know it. I'm not mad. I'm like, fool, you didn't even know my mama. What you going to say? Like, oh, no. You better put some respect on my Respect on what? It's a joke, fool. But it's not a joke when you say the N-word. So I don't understand it. It's a joke to you and your homies, but it's not a joke to anybody who's not black. But then the definition of black is so damn loose. Let me stop. I said that last episode that why are you still trying to get away by like walking both sides of this fence? They really trying to like climb both sides of this fence with this N word. Just silly to me. Either drop it or make up a new word that's supposed to mean the N word. Like it's not that hard. You ever look at a dictionary? You know how many pages is in it? <laughs> you know how many words in it? Make one more up. <laughs> call it, call every black person that one. And you don't even got to say it's a term of endearment. We're going to be able to tell. The word is, cats be trying to use ninja. Ninja's hilarious. Um, the word is, I can't even think of it. Let's go with ninja. <laughs> all right. That doesn't sound bad, right? My son wants to be a ninja. He says it all the time. That's why he takes Taekwondo. I laugh at it all the time. But let's stop with that one. And this generation is, I don't know, it's all bad, these confrontations. Look, at my kid's school, they call all their teachers by the first name. Look, I see some of these kids who are like, I respect authority, but I don't have to like it. And they speak up for themselves. I like that part. This is like the fuck around and find out generation. Kind of like, watch how you come at these kids. Now, obviously, we're only going to see the extreme examples when these kids are really out of line. But I'm sure there's in common discourse, just normal conversations where they're challenging their teachers to be like, yo, come at me right. And we don't hear enough about those stories. So I'm just watching this fuck around and find out generation, see what they're talking about. But I tell these kids one thing. Here's here's what the back of the bottle says. Here's the warning label. Talk shit to an adult, a man, a woman. Be ready to live with those man and woman consequences because <laughs> these teachers ain't planning. They can only take so much. Enough is enough. Speaking of enough, oh, man, is this enough or is this too much? Band Man Cavo, one of those people that are super famous, I'm sure, and I don't know who he is, but he also don't know who that dude is. Uh, he said he pays for women instead of going on dates. Oh, this story caught my attention. Y'all know me. <laughs> I was like, what? I used to always have this conversation with my boys and my homegirls. I say to my boys, dog, if you add up first date going to Koi or Cheesecake Factory, big difference in cost, but you went. Uh, second date, Ruth Chris got to get that sweet potato casserole on their head. <laughs> Third date, you know, y'all at the club because y'all feel comfortable now. 
popping a bottle or two. God, I said, you know, you spent two, three, four G's. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, you got her a little trinket because she's special. I was like, is that better than just saying, hey, I think you're beautiful. I would like to hang with you, but being real, can we skip this mandatory time wasting and bullshit and dating? <laughs> bullshit. But And I give you a $3,000 check and we kick it still? Like, would that be tasteless or would that be intriguing and attractive to women? And I'm saying it because I'm a man and no woman has ever given me a check <laughs> except my wife. She get paid. Um, but flip it. I used to say to my homegirls, I was like, would this be insulting if a dude just said, can we skip all of that? Like, blah, like the last dude you met dating circle and cycle. Can we skip that whole, let's go to cheesecake. Let's go to a bar. Let's go out to the movies. Let's go roller skating. And then we add up how much that's going to cost me if I'm being a gentleman, quote unquote. Um, And I just write you that check and then we just skip all that and we booed up. Let's go kiss. Let's go make out. Let's do whatever we do. If we really like each other, then right now. (laughs) And some girls was like, yeah, we got to go through the process. And I was like, all right. You get through that process and then you get there and then you ain't got nothing to show for it in terms of that money. How that feel? And I wish I could have the flip of this. I wish I could have enough dudes to be like, yo, she bought me up. She paid for all my, you know, gigolos, as they say. But basically the girls was like, nope, we're going through the process. I was like, even if that means after y'all mess around or he find out you ain't fresh or you find out he ain't fresh, you ain't got nothing to show for it. You wouldn't have took that just check. It's almost the same conversation you have with birthday gifts, right? Do you want someone to buy you a sweater and batteries. <laughs> what else did be buying? Dumb gifts. Um, I sound like I'm talking about my dad and like a jumpsuit you ain't going to wear. Cause you don't even wear cotton like that. Like just stuff, a board game that you don't even want to play. Like, do you want that? Or do you just want somebody to give you a gift card from Amex? Or do you want somebody to just write you a check? I see this a lot with kids birthday parties. Now donate to their college fund. Like something that's even if you don't come again or you did come and it was fun. We got something to take away from this for real. Right. I like that. If I were a woman or if I was the one who was getting taken out, shoot. I'll take that check. No disrespect with that check. (laughs) But um, it made me think of some of the silly stuff I did in my dating times. Yep. Yep. I was I was engaged, but I didn't need to be engaged to buy uh, one of my exes a, a car. Yeah, I said it. It felt it felt it felt as bad just now saying it as y'all heard it. <laughs> Woo! Oh man. Uh huh. <laughs> um, it was a white Lexus too. Drop top. That thing was clean. She kept it too. We broke up, engagement off, ride it. I ain't tripping. Um, Not all of them kept it, though. (laughs) I had another car. I was like, nah, you ain't keeping that one. But I protect the guilty. Um, And then one girl got me. This was was the worst one. I think they caught me in an emotional place. She was really trying to finish school. And I was like, aw. And she was like, yeah, I got to go back. But I have family issues and stuff. I was like, aw. And I was really liking her, not loving her, just caught up. Call me trick daddy right now. I was like, how much you need for school? 
She said, I can never ask. I should have stopped right there and said, well, then don't ask, motherfucker. <laughs> Whenever somebody say, I, I couldn't ask, I shouldn't ask, they about to ask. And <laughs> she did. She said, 50K. Uh, uh, 50,000, 50K. Okay, okay, okay. I was like, what? And she caught me slipping because she was such a sweet girl, apple pie type of girl, like off the traditional beaten path. Yeah, so I, you know, <laughs> let's just say one of them game checks that came in wasn't in full. <laughs> I'm like, can we transfer? Yeah, I did it. I got to talk about myself. This is therapy for me. This is my diary. So, um, not all the stuff I, I'm proud of, but I'm still proud of me. <laughs> so if that's how I got here, damn it, I'm glad I did it. I wish I had that 50K right now, though. I take it. Like, 50K? Okay, KK, you stupid. And I know cats out there shaking their head like, ooh, Wiley, I, I've done worse. And I know some cats out there like, man, I, I if I could, I would. And uh, some cats out there like, on my level, I've done that. <laughs> mm. Ignorance at its finest. I mean, who didn't do the standard issue flight, come visit, role game for you and come hang with me? We all did that, but <laughs> I told y'all I was a fool. Straight ignorance. Speaking of ignorance, um, Dave Chappelle said that people are trying to take nuance out of speech and American culture, and to me, that's ignorant. It is. Obviously, Dave Chappelle of late certainly has been accused of being transphobic. I don't feel that way, but I'm not a transvestite, right? I'm not in the trans community, so I don't know. But uh, they accuse him of that. The community does. I don't think everyone that's trans does. But he doesn't want to have that label on him for many reasons, obviously. He says he doesn't care if people take issue with his jokes, but he warned that cancel culture is in danger of taking the nuance out of speech. Preach, Dave Chappelle, preach. Why y'all think I'm sitting here right now? Protesters are not speaking from a place of love, he feels, but because they want to be feared. Ooh, basically the mob or woke mob, as they're called. Mm, They ain't loving what they're saying. They just trying to scare you. Mm, Interesting, Dave. Quote, want to deliberately obscure the intent of his work. What I take issue with is the idea that because they don't like it, I'm not allowed to say it. Whoa, Dave. Mm, mm, mm. He also says art is a nuanced endeavor trying to take out of American culture, making people speak as if they're on the right or on the left. Woo. Dave is on one right now. I love this. Damn, it's good. Mm. In my life, the most empathetic, quote unquote, people I see are also the most evil. Listen to that. People who are like, oh, I care about you. I care. I care about all y'all. I care about everybody. I care about you before I care about me. That's some evil motherfucker. <laughs> Them some evil people. One, you're just out of place. It's displaced to care about others before yourself. Uh, once I hear that from somebody, I just literally and mentally walk away. I'm like, oh, God. I can only swim in the pool that you have that exists for yourself. You got to build the walls up, then fill it up full of the water, which are the people that you love. If you don't have that capacity, you can't love. So the capacity starts with you. And I also don't like that everything is so absolute right now, which Chappelle's talking about. Everything is so absolute. Like people think this is controversial, some of the stuff I say, just because no one talks anymore. I can't believe Wiley said it. You know why you can't believe it? Because no one talks. 
They just yell or they jump on the side and echo. I talk. So you're going to hear some real shit. You're going to hear some real shit. You're going to hear some good, bad, and ugly. Remember those days? That's what I'm talking about. I'm loving Dave Chappelle for bringing this out. It's not about what he's talking about because that's a different conversation. I'm talking about the permission, the allowance to talk about it. Like everyone, group text, everybody talking about the same stuff, but just who going to say it publicly? Who going to say it publicly, right? Y'all trip. Y'all not putting me in that damn prison. And I felt like I was in that prison doing some mainstream media of late. I was getting fatigued, tired. I was getting mad at it. Uh, speaking of mad at it, some people are mad at uh, Bronny James, LeBron James's young son, for his nepotism, they call it. And they were mad he was on the McDonald's All-American team when they were like, all right, they picked 24, but he's not top 24. He's like 40. So why is he on there? Nepotism. Ah, it's LeBron. Well, shut up. It's big business. Y'all know they're going to pick LeBron's son if he's close, even if he doesn't deserve it. He's on the McDonald's All-American team. Y'all think he should be on the Carl's Jr. All-American team? <laughs> stupid. The Hungry Heralds All-American. <laughs> yeah, stupid. He look good to me. That boy got hops. Look like he growing up. Let me tell y'all one thing. Stop shying away from nepotism if you are one of the privileged to have it. Stop being scared of it if you're Bronny and stop being scared to flex it if you're LeBron. That's what this game's about. You think I'm working so hard and talking so much and living my life so my kids don't benefit from it? I hope so. I don't want my kids born on third base. I want them born on home plate. We'll figure it out. We'll fail forward if we don't got it all. <laughs> I want them to always have access doors open. Y'all need to stop. Ooh, man. What did Michael Corleone say? Discontent for money is just a trick of the rich to keep the poor without it. Yep. And I could change money for a lot of different things. But basically, people be acting like they don't like something just to keep those without it. Without it. <laughs> Man, so LeBron, LeBron's son, Bronny at Sierra Canyon. Y'all know it. Uh, Jim and Dina Scrumbus, my friends, neighbors, they run that school. Uh, my homeboy, check this out. Billionaire, beat, what a beat, beat. Billionaire Jeffrey Feinberg. Big heart, uh, made his money, big time money, private equity, dude, hedge fund, all that kind of stuff. I know all these cats. I know all the principles involved with this. Only reason I wanted to bring it up is because I don't want LeBron and I want Bronny and I want all of us to start widening the borders of acceptance in terms of nepotism. I'm going to watch the uh, Burger King All-American. <laughs> I'm going to watch to see how good he is. You know he's going to be there. He's a four-star recruit. He's supposed to be there. Um, but y'all going at that little boy. It's going to be interesting to see how this all turns out. Speaking of turning out, I want to see how LeBron James' hairline turns out. Did y'all hear this story? This is hilarious. LeBron James has to be held back by security after a fan taunts his receding hairline as he walks off the court during the Lakers' defeat against the Clippers. Duh. That's not the story. Clippers always beat the Lakers. The story is LeBron got mad somebody bagged on his hairline. <laughs> what? Can't take the heat. Stay your ass out the kitchen. We on a mission. <laughs> oh, man, let me talk about this. Um, the fan yelled at them when they were down 23. Then LeBron stopped, stared them down, and then the security had to get between them. 
and the fan and his hairline. <laughs> oh, man. Ted Washington, Mount Ted Washington, my teammate, used to always sing this song when he saw somebody who's struggling with their hairline. He was like, because, you know, especially in NFL, we pull our helmets off so often. The edges, even me, right here, right here, right now, and here. I don't have a receding hairline. Thank you. But I don't give a damn. I'm shaving my head anytime, every time. But even here, I got that little peninsula, right? A little island effect. <laughs> he used to always sing the song, you better let it go. Mm, mm, mm. I'm just looking at another hairline. TKO. <laughs> hairline TKO is the best song ever. LeBron, let it go, man. That's a hairline TKO, man. Let that thing. Plugs and all. I, I, I got homies that do that too. They be getting plugs and creams, and I just hit them with that big black that 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 shave Dollar Shave Club <laughs> monthly subscription on their head. Oh man! But I got this way because my boy Marvin Williams at St. Monica's my senior year. I had the Big Daddy came curly top, you know, scoop love of my brother, scrap love of my other. I had the curly top. I was looking good. I was like a baby Big Daddy came. I was like six feet. Curly top, I was starting to get that love, right? And then I did something to Marvin where he was mad, and then he he was the barber on, on campus. So I'm sitting there thinking he's just going to hook me up. Now, who flat top rules in 89, right? And this sucker hit me. He didn't hit the sides. He hit right in the middle of that Big Daddy Kane curl. Wow. And all of a sudden, I look like, you know, you you drive through Napa Valley or through the grapevine of uh, California, and you just see something missing, them rolls. I had something missing. I had like vegetation missing. I was like, damn. I said, this fool, I chased him around. He giggling. He laughing. I ain't hit him in the nose like Brian Bimbo. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, take it all off. I'm like, he got me. Good one. Good one. Went to the next class after lunch. And I remember sitting there like yesterday. And some girl looked back. And she said, whoa, Marcellus, what happened? And, you know, if you've never been bald, your hair your hair, your head, like my head, my scalp was white, <laughs> snow white, my dandruff everywhere. I was like, oh. I was like, oh, and I was feeling nervous. And, you know, I was like, damn, she about to bag on me. She's going to clown. I better get my my jokes ready. Bag on her shoes and big ass biscuits. I was, I'm getting ready. Right. I'm loaded. And then she was like, I like it. You look cute. Boom. Next thing I know, I go to the to the bathroom between periods, wet my hair a little more so that the white was kind of going away. And then the next period, somebody said, I look like Michael Jordan. It was a wrap. It was a wrap. <laughs> you see that dude right now. You see me right now. Oh man, let's talk about this. Ah, uh, my last couple right here. I got to get these out. Kurt Warner's tweet. Quote, when did we decide loud confrontational analysis is best analysis? Am I the only one that would rather analysts just be themselves? Come educated. Bring a smart, unique take and then let viewer use the info to decide what to believe. Analyze to educate, not to win the question. Amen, Kurt Warner. Amen. And I know you religified. Amen. Damn, I wish cats would do this. But that's not where media is now. You know where media is now? Media is yell it louder and louder, even if it's the same thing. And who cares if it's profound? Who cares if it really educates? There's always that balancing act between entertainment and education. 
Kurt Warner nailed that tweet. I had to retweet it. That's where the game is right now. So that's why I'm in a different game. Because I want to I want to talk through this shit. I can't lie. I won't deny it. I'm a straight rider. Do you want to listen to me? I love talking. I love talking through problems more than I love talking through all the glossy, glowy stuff. Like, who gives a damn? We all get that. How can we learn and unlearn from the bad stuff that nobody wants to talk about because it's taboo? And even in sports, it's invaded sports. Chappelle said it in comedy. Kurt Warner saying it in sports. Jalen Rose is saying it. This fake is I'm about to take an L. I'm telling you, we about to win this one. All right. Let me get up out of here now. And it's time for Tiki Time. Stop. Tiki Time. Look at me. My podcast is getting longer and longer. Okay, let's do it. Tiki Time. Question. If you were going to live on a desert island but could only take one type of food, one music artist, and one movie or TV show with you, what would it be? So I could take food, music, movie, or TV. All right, this is easy. Let's get through this quick. Food, tacos, with ketchup. Stop playing. That ground beef, hit that corn shell. Silly. Elbow grease, orange elbow. Then you got to hit that cheese integration to the fullest civil rights. Now, all of a sudden, you got the lettuce on top of that lettuce next. Then you put the tomatoes last. Then you hit that thing with a little ketchup problems. Life has been fixed, right? So I like that. Um, I've had all types of tacos. Those are my favorite. I do not want you to at me, but at me. <laughs> Ain't no tacos better. Um, one music artist. Damn, it's either Outkast or Michael Jackson. Probably Outkast because lo- as much as I love Mike, I need videos with him. I don't need Outkast videos. I just need that music. So Island, Outkast. Tacos with Outkast and one movie or TV show. Damn, this is tough. Incredible Hulk when he used to walk down the street by himself. Ripped jeans. That was amazing. Different Strokes, my favorite show ever. Amazing. But I would take Coming to America. I could watch Coming to America all day, every day. So I got Coming to America, listening to some outcasts, eating them tacos with that ketchup on it. Okay, now let's get to Ask That Dude. And Ask That Dude for Martin McCardax. If I messed your name up, not my fault. I didn't name you. Here we go, brother. Um... Question, how savage is it at the bottom of a fumble in a playoff game? Whoa. (laughs) You ever been on the 405 without a car? (laughs) You ever been on the 405 freeway without a car? That gangster. Oh, man. Have you ever been... uh, Have you ever been to a rodeo and saw... The cowboy not run, <laughs> just stand still. Like, it's like that. Oh, man, it's so gangster. I mean, <laughs> I, I do this to my kids sometimes. I always tell them, I say, in sports, especially football right now, the most important thing on the field is not you. I I, I know that doesn't sound right. Your parents going to get mad at me. You know what it is? It's the football. <laughs> Take care of it. If you don't believe me, drop the football and see what happens. All life will suspend. <laughs> People will lose their damn mind trying to get that football. Last one is a Wileyism. Here we go. Wileyism for this episode is no matter what you did today, tomorrow doesn't want to hear about it. <laughs> I love that one. No matter what you did today, I don't give a damn good, bad, or ugly. Tomorrow no one to hear about it. I bring that up because I tell my kids all the time. We do jumping jacks. We do high knees. We do kick butts. They get warmed up that way. And one thing I do that no other coach does and I hope y'all take this from me. We do energies. That means just shake off whatever happened to you before. 
You had a good day. You had a bad day. You had an ugly day. I don't give a damn what kind of day you had. This moment matters. Same thing with that Wileyism. No matter what you did today, tomorrow doesn't want to hear about it. Y'all got to stay in the moment with this, right? Let's go on this journey together. Oh, more to it. Let's learn and unlearn together. All right, y'all. That's going to do it for more to it. Check the show notes for all the information on our topics today. Today! You want to keep the conversation going? I know you do. Let's talk. Find me on all socials at Marcellus Wiley. More to it is a production of Dan Patrick Productions, That Dude Entertainment, that's me, and Workhouse Media. Show is executive produced by Dan Patrick, Marcellus Wiley. Here I am, Paul Anderson and Nick Pinella. I'm Marcellus Wiley, and thanks for listening. And thanks for those reviews. Y'all really doing reviews now. Not only y'all doing reviews, y'all giving me stars. Usually five stars. I appreciate y'all. Uh, I feel good, and you guys are making me feel good earning those five stars. But keep them coming. There's more coming for more to it. Talk to you next week. Gown. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.